Have you found yourself settling in your life, not thriving? You got sober and you've been going down this path and suddenly you're like, oh, this is it? This is my life? This is what I got sober for? Yeah, this is a common theme. Good news for you is that you've tuned in to Recover Like a Mother, and my name is Lane Kennedy. I help women in recovery access the life they imagined through a practice of mindfulness. I'm so glad you're here. Let's get into the show. Hi, this is Lynn McClintock with Go Home Yourself, and you are listening to Recover Like a Mother. Welcome. Welcome back. Hello, my friend. How are you? I hope you are enjoying a beautiful moment, wherever that may be. Today, we are, well, we're listening to another beautiful guest, a dear old friend. I can't believe that. It's so crazy. My friend, Lynn McClintock, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here. This is, like I said, it was so hard to nail down a date with work and the kids and everything that's happening in our weird world right now, but I'm so happy to be here and seeing your face and your new haircut. I love it. Yes. So good. So for our listeners, for our mama who's listening, I'm just going to give you a backstory. So I got sober in 1996 and I fell in love with Lynn's husband. (laughs) And I fell in love with him because he was just so nice to me. Not a lot of people were nice to me when I got sober or when I was drinking, right? People, when people ignored me. And I remember Eddie just being really like a human. He was just a human, right? And so I would hang out with him and there was a crew of us, really tight knit crew. And then a budding romance began. <laughs> <laughs> so it was so nice to watch and like, just watch it evolve I'm so grateful that we have known each other all these years and sober journeys are incredible. So I'm really excited to share you with our listeners. What's your sober date, Lynn? November 22nd, 1999. You have not found it necessary to pick up a drink. Not at all. No. Right. That is just amazing. Miracle. It's a, it's a miracle. So, uh, getting married, at Goosey's right now. I, I know I did too. The champagne toast at a wedding. Nope. Giving birth. Not even. Right. <laughs> like there's been no little dip in your fingers and toes into anything else. No yoga. Yeah. <laughs> no yoga. Courses. Yeah. Lots of courses. So let's hear what brought you to your knees. Oh, do I have to? Just a little, Uh, just a little. So my drug of choice was cocaine, which very quickly turned to crack cocaine. And back then we called it freebasing. So I had this really sexy boyfriend. Gosh, this was probably late 90 or late 80s, early 90s. And he showed me how to cook my cocaine into a concentrated form, which we called freebasing. And after that, it wasn't a long until I pulled a ge- geographic because that town sucked and I needed to leave. And how dare they fire me from my job? I'm not even going to look for another job in this tired little town. I'm out of here. And I went to Austin. 
I was actually pretty productive in Austin, although I continued to drink and use, but I used different things that helped, I thought. So I thought I might, I may have done better, but had I not been drinking and using, but I did make it through college and I actually did pretty well in college, just a miracle, another miracle. And after college, then it was time to pull another geographic because I was drinking and using and got fired from my first reporting job. Then I came to Los Angeles. And sure enough, it took about three years to hit my bottom here. And that was after losing two amazing jobs working in music. I had the dream job when I got to town working with exciting music artists that I grew up listening to. And it was so much fun and so exciting. And it was the full, just the story I wanted to tell, you know, it was so much fun and it was perfect for somebody who liked to drink and use, you know, it's just a fun, fun job, but it didn't work for long. You know, when you wake up and you're in a meeting and somebody's asking you a question, you're like, Oh, I'm at work. Dang. So I was able to gracefully leave that job. They moved promotions, which is the department I worked in, to Dallas, Texas, and gave me a choice to go to Dallas or to stay in Los Angeles. But of course, if I stayed in Los Angeles, my job would not be here. So obviously, I stayed in Los Angeles, but that's where I met. Wait a minute. I met Deb Bells. Deb Bells is from our ladies, our, our, our okay, so right. early, early sobriety, we had this woman's book study. Oh my God, Lane. Yes. You. Okay, so Deb Bells got me, I did like a lateral move into television and I had pulled it together. I'd gotten sober. And so what brought me to my knees in Los Angeles to answer your question was the crack cocaine. I had to, after losing everything, every job that I had worked so hard, you know, to work in this field in in music and use my degree in, which is journalism, I was, you know, at a turning point, I had nothing. So it was either get sober or die or you know, be institutionalized, whether that be jail or a hospital. And I decided to get sober. I had a very dear friend who died sober. Robert Taylor was my Eskimo. And I called him one morning after a very crazy night of smoking crack all night long by myself, seeing things, imagining people up in my vent that wanted to kill me. And I was in a complete drug-induced psychosis, and I called him. I managed to gather enough sense to pick up the phone and let him know, I won't argue with you anymore. I will go to one of those meetings with you. And he and his boyfriend came to my apartment within an hour or so from West Hollywood to Culver City, where I was living. And I opened the door, and right when I opened the door, his first words were like, Something to the effect of, oh, honey, you're not going to a meeting today. <laughs> not today. He, he told his boyfriend, you get the cat, I'll get her. And then he told me to take a look around and then I wasn't coming back for 30 days. And he took me and I detoxed at his apartment. And it was me, a 
couple of drag queens lived in that apartment. And Robert was my, my bedside nurse. And he detoxed me with Dr. Pepper's and Nestle's white chocolate, the cookies and cream kind. Yes. And then I've been sober ever since then. Mm-hmm. November 22nd, 1999. I just want to, 1999, 1999. So I was like two and a half years sober Two, Yeah. Two, yeah. I remember. <laughs> it wasn't pretty. Yeah. It wasn't pretty. Like <laughs> no, I had to gain 17 pounds. Yeah. To I be- was, yep. Yeah, I was a skinny little mess and uh, angry. I was angry. I had so much record wreckage Mm -hmm. just, and that's where all my, my anger was. But there was something so beautiful about you and the way that you moved. I remember thinking like, if she can stick, she's going to help a lot of people. Oh yeah. I, 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 distinctly remember that because, you know, there's some people that walk into one of the mutual aids and you're like, mm, they're not going to make it. Mm. You know, you just, you just see it. And I can remember Robert. <laughs> there's so much that so many memories are like popping up in me right now, how we don't know, you know, who's going to be that person that saves us. Mm-hmm. We don't know if that phone call is going to stick. You know, we don't even know if we're going to stick. And I could just see you drinking Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Smoking my Newport. The cigarettes. I know the cigarette one from right after the next. Yeah, totally. <laughs> don't, you don't even have to use a match. You just keep it going. Keep it going. Yeah. And so you're living in that place. You're going to the mutual aid meetings. And were you uncomfortable? I was 100% uncomfortable. I was really at home with all the boys at the gay AA LA meetings, but you know, Robert was, honey, you have to go to your own meetings. Mm -hmm. You need a sober fellowship and hanging out with a bunch of Queens is not going to enrich your life. It will enrich your life. It'll color your life. However, I know what you want and you will find it elsewhere. So he took me to Rodeo, the Rodeo meeting, which was, you know, after a while, Rodeo, we would look forward to Rodeo, you know, it was our big Friday night meeting. And, but at the very beginning, it's, it was scary, you know, and yeah, I was really uncomfortable. I thought everybody was so shiny and happy and so comfortable. Like everybody was just comfortable in their skin. They had words. They were social. They had words. They had words. (laughs) I didn't have words. I mean, I had like a tick and that I had to shake. I I think it was like for the first year and a half, I shook my head Mm -hmm. like periodically like this, just to kind of rattle my brain. And that was something that I did when I was loaded because I wouldn't sleep for days and I'd start to fall asleep. And so I'd shake my head and I'd be, I'm here, I'm here, I'm awake. And I just did that for about a year afterwards. And and Robert is the one that pointed it out. He's like, you don't shake your head anymore. There's a lot of things you don't do anymore, I'm sure. So as you are, you know, walking into that, you're walking into a new life. Yeah. And discovering new people 
new ways to communicate new, new words. (laughs) (laughs) And so you begin this journey of sobriety and you've chosen to go down a 12 step path. Mm-hmm. And that has been your path solidly for all of this time. Yes. Aside, and I found yoga and meditation and that for me has been, I mean, my mat is the four corners of prayer. For me. Yeah. That's my, my meditation, my yoga. That's where I talk to the universe, you know, and talk to God. However, whatever you want to, whatever term you want to put there. When did you find your yoga? When did you find the mat? How, how long were you sober? Six years. So early. Six or seven years. My second child had just been born. So I probably had about seven years. So you, I'm just imagining you have a new baby. You're dying inside. I'm sure of it. Oh dear. It was just. And you have to find something, right? There, there has to be something beyond. Yeah. And so how did you even find yoga? Remember Katie Moran? <laughs> Mo, Mo Katie. Mo Katie was helping. She was such a dear friend. She still is a dear friend. But at the time, she was not, she was one of the few friends I had that was not afraid of my, my house because my house had two screaming babies in it. And Mo had experience with babies, probably more than I had. And I had, you know, they were mine. And so Mo was like, I will come over and help you. And, you know, she would take one, I'd take the other. And, you know, one day she said, I want to take you to yoga. It's 90 minutes of pure torture. (laughs) And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, let's go. And I, the first class we went to was 110 degree heat and it was 90 minutes. I could not get enough. I mean, I was dying. It was such a hard practice. However, I was out of my head. There it is out of your head. Was it a Bikram class? It was. Yeah. That kind of exploded my brain as well. And I think I was probably on the same track as you. I think Bikram would, I had picked up some momentum and some popularity yeah. and for all the, all the drama would be, yeah, that was an awakening hitting the mat and finding oh, that practice. And it was, you know, it had everything in it for me, yeah. you know, I had, I could get out of my head. It was quiet and I would reach different with the breath. I would reach just levels of clarity that I had, you know, never explored before, never even witnessed within myself before. So I I loved it. And I was sold from the start, you know, have you practiced every day for the next year? I mean, how do you have a continuous Uh, practice now? Bikram probably I, I, I would go daily and I can't remember, I guess it was with, so it was, it had to have been, at least three or four years before the other hot yogas came, came about. And for me, I don't have to practice in a hot room, but I sure do enjoy being in the hot room. And, you know, I, I, I can take my poses deeper and it's just, 
for lack of better word, it, it's just more torturous for me to sit and feel all of the senses kind of leave. You have to leave your body in order to stay in the room. And for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And so, yeah. Do you still practice today? I teach today. How often are you teaching? I'm only teaching once a week now. And, and that's, you know, because COVID, mm-hmm. but I have a group of women that I jump horses with. And so every Saturday morning we meet at the barn and we practice before we ride. So we do 60 minutes mm-hmm. and we're outside in the sun and the wind with the horses and the dogs. The dogs are all on our mats. They're all doing down dogs. Some of them are trained and know down dog and they'll go straight to it, you know, but I love it. I really do love it. And I was in the middle right before the quarantine happened. I was right in the middle of getting another 200 hours certification. So figures, you know, so I'm, what do I have? 300 hours certified or certification hours, but you know, maybe I'll pick up those other 200 later this year. Once we go, you know, I have the option to do it online, but that doesn't work for me. So there's so many lives in sobriety. Yeah, I think. And you had your babies, you, you know, connected with the mat. How has parenting evolved over the years as a sober mother? Oh my goodness. And and I'll preface with, right, you're a yoga teacher as well, right? So I think there's something really tricky about being sober and being, I'm air quoting, the spiritual teacher. I get it. You know what I'm saying? Here's the thing. I wish I would have had the yoga sooner. I also wish I would have had the sobriety sooner. I mean, and, and... I forgot what it was, but there was something I was doing and it said, well, what are your biggest regrets? And it's not getting sober sooner. Gosh, why didn't I do it earlier? You know, before college, you know, I could have a medical degree or something, you know, but whatever. So, and the yoga and the meditation, if I had been deeper into my practice and deeper into meditation and being able to use my breath as a tool I probably would have had much calmer experience in early motherhood because when you have two in diapers at the same time, there is no serenity anywhere. And no, it's, you know, when one's calm, the other one is hysterical or, you know, you've, and, you know, we also relocated to Antarctica, Toronto, when my, I had two in diapers and we went to Toronto for nine months and that was torturous because you have 17 layers of clothing on your children and they're both in diapers and they're not on the same pee schedule. So that was just a nightmare. We never, it was just tough. And so had I had this practice of breath and movement and, you know, referring to mantras and, you know, nurturing or cultivating more of a calm space in between these two ears here, I would probably have had a better experience, you know, and that looking back, you know, because in my work now, I work with different families and 
I had a job recently where I was working with a woman that had a seven-month-old baby. And I can't give too much information, but I can tell you in taking, having the time that I had with that seven-month-old baby and the wisdom that I have now and the sobriety and all of the yoga and the meditation, and it was so much easier. And I'm sure a huge factor of that was because, yes, it's not my child, you know, I can always hand the baby back over to the mother when it's, you know, but she wasn't very available. So I was, you know, the reality was, is I had a seven month old baby for 30 days, you know, while I was on this job, it was such a difference having this sense of calmness and having this sense of just being accomplished at it, you know, like there, there were no big deals. How old are your boys now? 15 and 14. So are you using your breath and that mindfulness, that meditation work now in your parenting? Every second, every second horses breath. You will hear that through my house all the time. I mean, and, and Eddie in the other room will ask me, what's going on? Nothing. Just taking a breath. You know, we are dealing with my 15-year-old now who is having some problems and has started using. It has been, we're baffled by it. It's, it's like when it's you. What, what's, he, what's he using? Marijuana. Okay. And this, this is like for every kid, right? It's like, I see this so often. Yeah. I I just, we're baffled, you know, because we, as people in recovery, we know we could spend our entire retirement fund on rehabs, but why? It's not going to help unless he is ready. I was that kid. I'm just dropping in right here to remind you that you deserve to live an epic and amazing life. And if you're not, I want to be the one to support you in overcoming your burnout, eliminating your perfectionism, and any of those ruminating thoughts that keep you away from the life that you want to be living. Check out my eight-week program, Mindful Safeguard, over at recoverlikeamother.com forward slash mindful. Thanks again for listening, and let's get back into the episode. And then, of course, we're boomers. We're not technically boomers, but that's what he calls us. We're boomers. It's like, dude, you've got the dates wrong. We're not boomers. But, you know, the one thing that I am very thankful for, and we did do something right, is that our child, our children feel the need to tell us everything. There are some things that I wish I didn't know. Kind of like filters, filters, boundaries, boundaries, you know, but thank goodness for that. You know, so at least we, we, you know, basically he's, I don't know, sometimes we're wondering if his, our openness and his truthfulness to us, he mistakes for permission. And, you know, so we're, we're trying to be very clear that, look, even though we can talk about all this stuff, you don't have permission, but the whole, you know, the other side of it is do I want my kid out on the street carrying pot around? No. Do, you know, it's just such a, such a mess. 
Yeah, it is. It's society, right? It's, it's not, well, yeah, he's got friends that, you know, are in business with their parents selling drugs. Oh my God. Yeah, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. No more sleepovers with that kid. He can't come over here anymore, but you know, it's like, wait, I was that kid. You know, I just, it's so confusing. So how do you deal with that Lynn? Right? Like, how are you and Eddie like navigating this? Because you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Exactly. So yeah. So what do you, how are you navigating this? Well, he wants his driver's permit, right? Horrifying. I'm just like, what? But dude, if you're going to, if I'm going to sign off on allowing you to get your driver's permit, you're testing, you're peeing in the cup for me and you need to be clean. And so basically that's my leverage right now is everything is we're not going to the DMV. (laughs) Right. So you're using, you're using peeing in the cup. That's the leverage. Right. And just imagine, I just want you to just for a moment, go back in time. If your parents did that. Oh my God. Right. It would be a a freaking nightmare. It's like, again, we're in a society right now where we we're not winning with anything Not at all. Well, because the norm is to, you know, have a fake ID and go to the dispensary and pick out what strain you would like to dine on that week, you know, and it's so, you know, but the thing is, is that these kids, you know, they're, they have on Instagram, they can, they call them plugs. And so the the plug is their dealer or their connection. And so I guess on Instagram, you can find a plug and they'll just bring pot. We've ran off a couple of dealers on our street. Eddie ran out there. Eddie walked out there and was like, are you here to bring drugs to my minor son? And the guy was like, well, yeah, dude, you you got a problem. He's like, yeah, we got a problem. Yeah. Eddie took pictures of his license plate and the guy put it in reverse and took off. But it's like, really? And this is all through Instagram. Yeah. It's, it's, what is the solution? Right. We don't, it's like, we don't have a solution here. Don't have a solution. And so, so as a parent, uh, right. As a parent, you're using the driver's license, right. As a parent is school. Yeah. Um, I need to see some grades. I need to see some, you know, I need to see some sports being played. I need to see some teamwork. I need to, you know, and not that, and even if he shows up and does all of those things, I still have a child that was born from two addictive personalities, the chances that he's, I mean, he's absolutely an addictive personality. I saw that when he was a toddler with the sugar, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, so I don't have to wonder if he's, you know, one of us, because I think he is. So are both your kids like this or just one, just the one? Yeah. The other one, I don't know who he took after, not me or Eddie. Maybe my mom. My mom's not an addictive personality, although the bingo is out of control for her. But <laughs> yeah, but you know, there there really is no answer. And, and it's really tough for us because we're navigating our way through this and we're trying to keep ourselves clean and sober, keep our minds clear and our hearts open and not con- condemn this kid and, you know, 
we want to keep the lines of communication open with him. And so we have to navigate a way around all of that, all of the thing, all of the behaviors that we want him to change. We have to navigate through that by somehow keeping his trust, you know? So I saw he left his pot sitting out one day and I took it and I put it in a safe, in our safe. And I was going to give it to our gardener, you know? He's an adult who's not, you know, one of us and whatever, you know, just wanted it out of the house, just sober household. And it was not a pretty, pretty picture when he figured out that his stuff was gone. And he went after his brother because he thought his brother had taken it. And then, you know, that kid's a normie and there was all kinds of commotion and you know, he was leaving the house and he was going to hitchhike to Arizona to go see his friend. It was two in the morning, you know, so Eddie is holding, holding the fort down or making sure he doesn't get out the door. And Max, the younger one, comes out. It's like, what is going on? And, he's, and then he realizes this because we took his pot, his brother's pot. And he's like, all of this for some pot? I'm going back to bed. It's like, that kid's not one of us, you know. Not at all. I wish I had answers for your listeners of how to navigate through this. We're, we're doing the best we can. Our strategy is to get the kid to experience some success in school, in sports. And if he earns it, he'll be able to go get his driver's permit. But how is this emotionally, right, affecting your emotional sobriety? That's what I keep hearing is like, How is the emotional sobriety right now with you? Oh, well, you know, it's up and down, but I'm exhausted. My emotional sobriety is just at a zero. Okay. So let's, let's, I want to just tap on that right there because this, you know, the last year being indoor pandemic life, Mm -hmm. like any kind of reserve that I had Mm -hmm. gone. Right. And so I'm just thinking about you too. Like we as sober moms, because we did all the stuff in the beginning, right? We just built that reserve, built that reserve, built it up, kept it. And now it's been really hard, like being in the house with my kiddo for the past, you know, the 24 seven every day, 365. But what I'm hearing from you is like, you have this son who's struggling with an addiction problem or issue challenge. And it is. It, it's like, where, where do you, where do you go to fill up your cup now? Well, you know, I've learned to, again, I refer to my yoga, my meditation and the things that feed my soul, which, you know, are the animals, the horses and, you know, being out in nature and then just trying to be there for my kids. And were you always into horses? I always wanted a horse and I never, when I was in Texas growing up, I used to walk over to the stables and I'd have to peek over because they wouldn't let me on the property. They'd kicked me out too many times because I had no business there. I didn't own a horse. I started when I was 50. When we moved out here to to Old Agora, I had a barn in my backyard and I rescued a pony and her name is Penny Lane. It didn't take long. I started taking some lessons, some writing lessons. And within six, six months, I was jumping. 
and then I was leasing a horse and then I was showing. And so here we are, you know, four years, five years later, you know, that just feeds my, there's nothing like flying over a jump on a horse, on a horse's back. It's amazing when you're, it's like a pot of dough, you're just in sync with this beast. Did you get the same kind of relief as when you are doing your hot yoga or doing your yoga? Yeah. Is it that quiet, that moment of absolute peace, oneness, stillness? Yeah. One, two, one, two. Yeah. You hear the horses. It's it's quiet. It's still, you're in sync, except there's another being there with you. So perhaps it's not as quiet because you're working as a team. So, but it's the coolest thing ever. So no, I wouldn't say it's the same as being on the mat. And I mean, it gives me that peace, but I do have to be mindful of my partner and make sure we're both going in the same direction. Otherwise it could be catastrophic, but it lights you up. It fills your oh, heart. Yes. Like what I see right now, your, your whole energy changed and it's like feeding my soul. Yeah. yeah. No, totally. The soul. And that's, what's really cool about sobriety is that we can discover new things. Oh, totally. Uh, right. Like joy out of nowhere. When I found meditation and I always talk about this, that I had no, I wasn't looking for that. I wasn't looking for meditation. I wasn't looking to change my whole life and to become a meditation teacher that wasn't on my horizon. (laughs) So I love that when we get sober, we have these opportunities come up when, you know, you look back at your life and you're a little girl and you peek over the fence and now you're writing and show like being with the animals. It's, It's sobriety gives us these opportunities to enjoy life. Well, it's, you know, and it's promises that there, there are promises that, you know, I know that, you know, I refer to the 12 steps and within the 12 steps, there's a passage and it's the promises. And I guess my first year of sobriety, I went to see Liz Lepresti, who was amazing woman. We lost her last August. She died sober. Of course, she you know, 20 years ago, I went to her, I heard her speak in a meeting. And then I called and made it she happened to be a behavioral, wait a minute, what is it? Behavioral modification therapist. So I was like, I need therapy from that woman. I want her. So I contacted her made an appointment. And her first appointment with me, she asked me, she said, So what do you want? What is your dream? What do you want out of life? And I said, well, I want to be married. I want to raise a family. I want to be married. I want to ride horses. And I want to create art. And then Sarah O'Neill, who we both know, one of our sobriety sisters, she called me maybe two or three years ago, right after I got Penny Lane and I was riding. She said, Mama, you're living your dream. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? And she said, what you told Liz, you told Liz, you wanted to ride horses, raise a family, be married and create art. You're doing all of it. And that is all a direct result of being sober. For me, none of this would have happened. None of it. None of it. It is. There are promises and they do come true. As long as we stay close, as long as we're honest, Mm-hmm. As long as we're willing to help put our hand out. I love the journey 
of sobriety. And there is no end point. There is no, you're done. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's one day at a time. We have this opportunity to explore and share life without drinking. And I hope that your kiddo, like he sees you and Eddie sober, right? And he knows that you are there. And my son, the same, like he knows, like I talk about straight edge all the time. Like, what do you think about that? You know, <laughs> it's like, forget, like, forget a, like he's not doing any 12 step stuff. Like, but anything that I do, he's not doing, but he knows that there's another way he doesn't have to pick up right where your kid knows that, Oh, there is another way. And you're just there for him. 100%. And if you were drinking and using, there isn't, there's no family. <laughs> There's no Eddie. There's no, <laughs> there's no Eddie. That's yeah. No, I wouldn't be married. That's yeah. <laughs> no, it's so brilliant. And through your sobriety, you started a company. Yeah. 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 So you got fired up again. You got fired up. Did. That's so, my art. Yeah. That's your art. That's what I was going to say. It's yeah. like you get to create and you've built this really awesome little company. Where can our mamas find you? Go to www.goomyourself.com. That's G-O-O-M yourself.com. How long have you had your company now? I launched September 2019. Is that right? Yeah. No, 2018. September 2018. Yeah, it's just... We get to do really cool things. I'm having a blast with this. This has been so much fun. So basically, the mission behind Go Own Yourself is to promote joy, bold individuality, and a spiritual lifestyle that colors the human experience with such a vengeance that it takes your breath away on a daily basis. And so I take my store out to little farmer's markets and yoga festivals and music festivals in the area. And when somebody walks into my store and I hear them laughing, mission accomplished. We've cultivated some joy right there. So what Go Home Yourself is, is basically when I got certified to teach, I too wanted to identify as a yogi. So I would spend long hours on Google and Amazon trying to find the perfect shirt that identified me as a yoga person or as a yogi. But I came across so many ohm symbols with like the Sanskrit inspired font that says namaste, you know, or, you know, breathe or follow your bliss. It's like I'm doing all of those things. Anyway, I'm breathing right now and I'm going to follow my bliss. And, you know, it just seemed everything was, I needed a little more edge with my Zen style, if you will, you know, so what, what go home yourself is it's where Zen and rock and roll make out. So brilliant. So brilliant. I love that so much. And it it follows or it goes back to your music career, right? It goes back to like your music love, your music career. 
and now married to your yummy yoga lifestyle. I love that. So mama, please go check out what Lynn is doing at go home yourself and check her out on Instagram as well. She does a lot of fun things and you can see the pop-ups that she does. Yeah. It's a really beautiful experience. Lynn, thank you so much for hanging out with me and sharing. Girl, I miss you so much. No. When you're in town, I'm not sure next time I'll get out North because you know, yeah. Well, you have two boys and a husband and life. It's life. But bring your boy. You may not want to bring your boy over to my house. (laughs) Anyway, no, they're good boys. We just, you know, beautiful. Lynn, thank you so much for being on the show. Love you, girl. Mama, may you find something bright, something light and something so delicious that fills you up to be the best mother you can be until next time. Take good care. Hey, are you trying to overcome burnout? So many people are, you're not alone. And maybe you have perfectionism running through you and ruminating thoughts of how to do something. Maybe you avoid things. I don't know. It gets tricky the longer that we are in recovery. The good news is that I help women in recovery access the life they imagined through a practice of mindfulness. I have an eight-week program, eight weeks. That's what it takes to change your life around where you can start living and thriving in your life, the life that you got sober for. If you're burnt out in your recovery and you need a tune-up, you want to try something else, check out the Mindful Safeguard. You can find out more information over at Recover Like a Mother. Get on the wait list. It's an eight-week program. It opens and closes. And I would love to have you participate because I know that you didn't get sober just to live in mediocrity. No, you got sober to live a life beyond your wildest dreams. All right. I hope to see you in there. Thanks again for listening to the show.